everybody, what's up? Welcome in to another episode of Real Sports Talk by Niraj. Hope you're all doing well on this Tuesday, June 22, 2021. Uh, so much going on. Hard to keep track of things sometimes, uh, but let's keep it rolling as playoffs heating up, more Olympic trial, more of the you know incredible U.S. athletes making it to Tokyo Games this year. Uh, it's going to be really fascinating to watch how this all goes down um, and you know obviously the NFL things are heating up as well as teams are getting going to uh, the off season you know you have a lot of teams in the NBA already preparing for the NBA draft which promises to be very interesting depending on how a lot of these teams will position themselves ahead of free agency. You know, it's going to be really, uh, really a fun thing to watch out for. You know, just seeing how all the pieces move um, from now and until the, the draft. You know, will we see some other trades? You know, will we see some unlikely uh, players move and go to different you know, new, new teams? There's so much to, uh, to get into with those things coming up. So. It's going to be fun no matter what. Looking forward to obviously a lot of things um, coming up. And I will get into some other topics as well as the week continues. So to kick off today's episode, I want to talk about John Rahm, who ended up winning the U.S. Open um, on Sunday, on Father's Day. Uh, a very special moment for John Rahm, who is one of the young and up-and-coming golfers um, in the PGA Tour and you know throughout the years in golf obviously the viewership and all that has varied from time to time where you know a lot of people don't really watch golf because of the sport and how you know it can kind of be just so many things you have to kind of like wait and see wait and see um, but you know, a lot of golfers this year even throughout the pandemic they really battled through a lot of elements. I mean, you know, believe it or not, a lot of PGA Tour players definitely missed the um, fans. And having them back now, uh, you kind of see players starting to feed off that a little bit more and play much better. And the U.S. Open obviously took place in California, Torrey Pines. Um, you know, and you know, with Tiger still rehabbing and getting back, um, you know, into shape to play golf. You know, a lot of these young golfers are really starting to rise up. And John Rahm is someone who has had a couple of really close finishes in a lot of tournaments. And he finally broke through for his first major championship. Very special for him. You know, he just had a, uh, you know, a newborn son. I think about 10 weeks or so. And, you know, just seeing him be able to rally and be clutched down the stretch of this tournament was huge. You know, he had to previously, uh, about a month ago, withdraw actually from the Memorial Tournament, um, which he actually had a lead. Um, but due to a positive COVID test, he had to withdraw from that tournament. So then he was building some confidence um, up to that point, and then he had to withdraw from the tournament the fact of not getting, you know, getting the positive test and then having to withdraw from the tournament. 
Um, but for him to come back um, and win one was great. You know, he beat some of the best golfers um, in the top 10 rankings down the stretch. He hit some birdies on 17 and 18 to close it out. And, you know, just being able to kind of find a way to stay stay with it. You know, obviously there were a lot of players in positions to win the U.S. Open. And usually in a lot of the major tournaments... Um, in golf, it does come down to the wire, it comes down to a couple of shots, and the closest person who had a shot was Luis Ostegen, um, who just ended up not being able to st- stable momentum, you know, and you saw John Ron take advantage of a couple of missteps by some players who made some bogeys down the stretch, and he was just able to get through with it so you know there's a lot of great players who made a lot of mental mistakes and the major championships are designed a certain way in which the courses do get the best of the players sometimes um but for john rom you know coming through being able to kind of rally but put it all together you know which you know get some of his best shots um you know huge moment for him very happy to see, obviously, more and more young of the golfers starting to rise up and play big time. And he's becomes the first, uh, you know, person from Spain to win the U.S. Open, you know. So he joins an elite group of champions. And I think that, you know, he is going to continue to be uh, a really good player that continues to rise up um, and, and be, be, be win some more majors, you know, just just showing his ability to stay composed, make some clutch shots, um, and you know he had a perfect ending to his Father's Day. And hopefully, we'll get to see some more and more of the young golfers uh, like Brooks Kepka and Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. Um, you know, Bryce DeChambeau. All these guys really go at it. You know, they are the next uh, wave of golfers the next stars in the sport um you know i just can't wait to see when tiger woods will be able to return to golf just because of the fact of what he's been through throughout his career and even though he's you know he has 15 majors now you know you just want to see the best of the best competition in the major championships um so i think there's a couple more championships to go and this golf season Maybe a couple more, or just maybe, maybe there's one more left actually. And it promises to be really interesting, really exciting to watch. Um, you know, see how they all, they all perform. So, I'm gonna now transition to talking about um, some more first year NFL head coaches. I had talking about a couple of coaches before. Uh, Nick Sarani of the Philadelphia Eagles and Dan Campbell of the Detroit Lions previously. So I want to talk about two more coaches that will be, you know, lining up this year uh, on the NFL side as a first time in a head coaching position in the NFL. And, you know, that would be Urban Meyer and David Culley. Urban Meyer of the Jacksonville Jaguars and David Culley the Houston Texans. Now both coaches are in the same division, so they will go head-to-head um, in the season, which 
is fitting as I brought these two up. And both coaches are uh, in interesting situations. You look at the Jacksonville Jaguars have done. Uh, they've totally you know, redone their front office structure. Urban Meyer, homegrown there in Florida, coming in from the college ranks now to the NFL. And, you know, he's obviously looking to change the culture, bring back a winning ad to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Look at David Culley of the Houston Texans. He's walking into a very interesting situation where, you know, it took a number of years for him to finally get a head coaching opportunity. Um, I think he is the oldest coach um, in the NFL since age-wise, and he spent a number of years as an assistant head coach working with some great organizations in Philadelphia, I believe, Baltimore, Kansas City, and he's trying to see if he can restore the Houston Texans in terms of how they've been in the news for the, a lot of the wrong reasons in terms of what they've done to their roster, the players they've traded over the years. Um, you know, most notably DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watts now gone. The Sean Watts situation is still still um, under, you know, ongoing. And so David Culley is operating with a lot of things on his plate and Look at both coaches. Um, they obviously have so much to do with their rosters and being able to kind of get the most out of it. Now, in the Houston Texans case, they really don't have a clear quarterback plan going forward because until the Deshaun Watson situation doesn't go out, um, you know, they're pretty much going to go with Tyrod Taylor as their quarterback. They have drafted a couple of younger, younger rookie quarterbacks on the roster as well, but the Texans are going to be able to go as far with Tyrod Taylor, um, and that makes it really interesting to see how you know, both coaches will do this season. I mean, David Culley's up for a, be a bigger challenge because you know you have Tyrod Taylor, who is a decent player, um, but will he be able to give you that consistency over time? May not happen. But the Urban Meyer situation, I mean, he has a great quarterback in his hand, Trevor Lawrence, number one overall pick. Um, Lawrence, you know, is there. You have Travis at the end. You know, right now, Jacksonville on paper has the better roster than the Houston Texans. Got a quarterback who they know will be the guy. Um, you know, so there's a lot of great things going for the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know. And I think that for David Culley, I mean, they've put together a very impressive running backs on a one-year deals and Vince and Ingram and, um, you know, just some of the running backs they've brought in. They've brought in some decent ones to have a strong running game, which they, want, they really want to do, you know. And even though David Culley has a decade of experience in Philly, Baltimore, and, you know, all that his experiences are going to be crucial. I mean, they have a, a coach that's well, you know, familiar with a lot of different things. So, Texas may not be, they may not be totally bad this year. I mean, they may be able to win a couple of games, um, but the 
challenges of them being competitive in the AFC aren't much more challenging. I don't think they're going to be able to really win a lot. Um, I don't think they have enough offensive firepower. I think their defense isn't going to be the same. Um, you know, I think they're going to struggle quite a bit, especially how these with the spread quarterbacks and the quarterbacks in the division, and also out of the out of the out of the conference. I just don't see them being able to be great. I think David Cully will do what he can. I think you'll see him start to kind of get this team playing at a much better level, make more effort because we didn't see a whole lot of effort um, and you know when Bill O'Brien was there just in terms of like how they were playing um, so you just hope that David Cody to kind of get these players to play at a high level because the Texans have a lot of work to do they want to rebuild their their franchise and get back to some winning ways uh, it starts with them being able to get players who can buy in and want to be there and I just want to see how David Cully responds to that because knowing that who's in charge of him, if those guys can't make good decisions, then David Cully's going to be, you know, the one that's, you know, going to directly be impacted by it. So I think that um, just because David Cully doesn't really have a clear quarterback, um, you know, plan, and I think that he's up, he's up for a much bigger challenge than Aaron Meyer. Now, Urban Meyer is going to have his issues as well this season, I'm sure. Uh, can, can he get these players to buy in and play well? He's done it at Ohio State and, you know, at previous coaching, you know, you know, spots. But, you know, working with the pros, you know, he's got to be able to really do a good job of getting these guys to buy in, to coach them hard, to set, set a standard. Um, so out of these two coaches who may have the better first season, um, I'm going to say Urban Meyer, um, but I don't think it's going to be by, by too much. I think that David Culley, you know, Texas obviously spent a lot of time, you know, into him. And, you know, once he's able to really get himself a, a, a clear quarterback plan, build his roster the way that he wants to, I think you'll see the Texans be able to win some games. But they definitely are going to need a quarterback if Deshaun Watson isn't in the in their future plans going forward. And that's why I think that Houston might, might be in line for a quarterback next year. Um, so, I mean, it's going to be an interesting season for both teams. I think that Jack, Jacksonville just has more talent right now. Uh, they have a better shot competing for the division than the Houston Texans. Um, and I think that for Urban Meyer... Uh, the biggest thing for him is that he has Trevor Lawrence. He's got some really solid players that are coming up um, in the, you know, he has some solid players coming up in the, you know, years ago. He has some draft picks that, you know, they got late. I think they have a pretty decent team. Um, only question is how do they how do they play together? And can Urban Meyer kind of handle the rigors of an NFL game? Terms of how it's officiated, how it's, you know, how can how can go either ways. I just really want to see how that comes in because David Cully has that advantage in which he may be able to know what to do in certain, certain situations because he's been in that spot on the sidelines next to an Andy Reid, you know, next to a John Harbaugh. So Urban Meyer, you know, he's got a decent staff that may have some good NFL experience, but you know, it comes down to coaching, 
being able to make some adjustments, be able to make those timeouts at, at, at the right time. And for Urban Meyer, uh, he's going to be going to be able to have to handle that. So I'm sure he will because he has Trevor Lawrence on, on his side. And look, Trevor Lawrence is going to be really good. Um, you know, as long as they keep him upright and healthy. And so how does Urban Meyer kind of bring his kind of offensive style to this? You know, how how, how does he how, how does how do those two work together? You know, him and Lawrence, how do they work together? Um, can they get on the same page and be able to win some big-time games that they may not be in favor of? That's what I'm really looking looking forward to is how to do, how do Urban Meyer adjust? How does he adjust to what's thrown his way? You know, how does he manage his roster, expectations? You know, who does he give playing time to? Um, you know, what is he going to do to keep this locker room, you know, playing at a high level? And you just want to see the Jacksonville Jaguars compete and have a chance in every single game. So, uh, you know, it comes down to both coaches being able to kind of, like, set their teams up and get their, you know, buy, buy their culture. And I think that in the better first season, it'll be Evan Meyer. I don't think the Jaguars will win a whole lot of games. But I think that he'll have the better first season just because of the talent that he has around him. Um, I think that they're just built much better. Um, but this division, the AFC South, is going to be competitive no matter what. So they, 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 they both may win against each other head-to-head one time, possibly. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, in the, the first season, I think Jacksonville has the better season just because of what they, what they have a quarterback, they have the wide receiver spot. Um, and I think that their defense... Uh, it's going to be rejuvenated uh, to make it happen and play much better, um, you know, especially this coming season. I think that they're going to have going to be a lot of guys that are going to be playing hard. And Urban Meyer, the way that he's been able to build some special relationships with players at the college level, hopefully he's able to do something at the NFL level and be able to win over the Jacksonville Jaguars and get this fan base going and, and make them, you know, more relevant again. Um and in the year to come. So in this segment, I want to talk a little about um, the NFL and what uh, really came to light recently um, today. And before I get into that, I do want to say that throughout the past year, so I've done some episodes about a lot of NFL players, where they really came from, um, you know, how they got on their journeys. And there's always an incredible amount of stories in the NFL about some, how players do start from one place and are able to rise up and be able to, you know, play the dream of playing football. And we've seen more and more throughout the years, more athletes become outspoken. Uh, use their platform to speak about certain things, whether it be social justice, reforms, education, technology. Um, we've seen a lot of NFL players be able to talk and speak in a very profound way uh, that raises their awareness in the NFL about a lot of different issues that not only happen in the NFL but in society itself. And it's very important um, that you know more and more young players um, across every sport continue to speak up and share their experiences, share their lives, and be afraid to speak, and I'm sorry, not be afraid to speak, you know, be able to speak their minds, be able to, 
you know, talk about what they want to do to make a difference in the world. And Carlton Nassib is one of those players that recently came out, came out, you know, announcing um, that he is gay. And most people may just be thinking, you know, why, why is this a big deal? Why is this something to bring up? It's not really football related. Well, look, football, as great as football is, is obviously a whole lot more to being a professional athlete than being out there performing at the highest but it's about being able to express yourselves and be able to be independent and be able to really not only express your views use your platform to make sure that others around you understand what you come from what you're made of um and Carlton Nassib coming out that this um you know he wanted to really come out and say this and I applaud him I think a lot of people applauded him for for doing this because as I mentioned before, a lot of NFL players go out there and do what they have to do. And sometimes we forget what happens behind the scenes. And so, as I had mentioned a long time back, I used to just be all about football players, just being out there, watching the games, not really paying attention to what those players were doing behind the scenes to prepare what kind of journey that they go on to get to this point. And so Carl Nassib, you know, someone who was a third-round draft pick in 2016, who had to really earn his spot and be able to fit in with a lot of players uh, from the get-go. I mean, he, you know, the NFL gave him an opportunity, a place where he could, you know, feel, he could gain that confidence, that ability to come out and announce um, that he is gay. And this is something that, you know, people are looking at it in a sense of oh well you know he you know he didn't really have to say that and all that or you know you know we care more about the football player and how he plays look there's just so much more to athletes in today's generation than just see what they can do in the fort some people will still have that mindset of like yes um you know we have you know we you know recognize the fact that you know you're you know, a great person, a great human being, but we care about what you do on the field. Sometimes it comes down to that, and there are, there are people who always will believe that, but my bigger point about bringing up this story is, I mean, just looking how he kind of went through the journey of, you know, coming into the NFL, you know, at Penn State, was able to be one of the best, like, linebackers there, a top 10 player, um, you know, he really earned his way up, um, to the Las Vegas Raiders, you know, and it was great to see him come out and show like the, you know, representation and the visibility and the passion about making a change, about being able to give awareness to the LGB, uh, LGBT community. Very important um, that you know, a lot of sports continue to be welcoming and appreciative of the LGBT community because, you know, they have dreams as well. They want to be able to be a part of something bigger in sports. And I think with Carl Nassib doing this, he's been able to really, really inspire a lot of the LGBT youth to really pursue their dreams and be successful in everything that they have to do. Um, and, you know, this is not something that he's doing for attention. He's doing it as, you know, he finally felt comfortable and, you know, confident enough to talk about this and express what he wanted to say. 
and he expressed it in such a way in which he also mentioned about being able to, to you know, donate um, to the Trevor Project, which you know is a um, you know a group that is going to be focusing on making sure uh, you know, focusing on um, you know crisis prevention, suicide prevention, because there's a lot of LGBT uh, people out there in the world who you know deal with so much and, and they aren't able to have those resources and that ability to pursue a dream or to go out, go into sports potentially or any path of life and you know Carl Nassif is someone who has seen that gone for a long period of time wanted to make a change about it and you know it's just good it's just really good to see him come out and really express himself obviously he wants you know he wish he could kind of done that a little bit differently but you know, he just wanted to come out there and, and say it. Um, and you saw across the NFL community, Roger Goodell had some really good things to say about it. Uh, obviously, the Raiders have, have been really, uh, you know, behind him and, and really proud of him because a, a lot of his players, a lot of the teammates that he's, he's, he's been with, coaches he's been with, you know, all admired the kind of way that he went about it, you know, being able to... You know, with the support of his family, his friends come out and express that. But most people, you know, they'll just read that and be like, yeah, it's a really good thing. Others will be like, you know, that's all feel good and everything. But, you know, we don't, you know, we don't want to really care about that. But it is a big deal because a lot of NFL players, you know, have to really express themselves. Um, and on the football field, they can do so many things, yes, on the media. Not all these players get all the media availability um, 24-7. Um, but when they do have the opportunity to come out and do something on social media like this, you know, they should be appreciated and respected for doing that. You know, because they want to get their message out there. And I think, you know, for him, I think the fact that he, he uses platform, he wants to make a world a better place. You know, he wants to help um, the LGBT community have opportunity to pursue their dreams, to not be discouraged by the you know all the things that are out there that are set towards them or not, you know, being be able to donate money to the to this project, um, and you know he's going to continue to talk about certain things and just trying to help the youth the LGBT youth, uh, you know, be more fitting, more accepted in the NFL, and I think that this is a really good step forward, and I hope that he continues to do great work. And a lot of players um, that do come to the NFL who who may have feelings of like you know dealing with certain things and you know just kind of keep it to themselves how they express themselves because he expressed himself um, really nice player for the Raiders um, and you know being able to come out this way is gonna inspire a lot of people a lot of you people to uh, really go after it not to not to go um, and, and make a rash decision on their lives to really think that they have, they have a way, uh, have a path, and um, a lot of LGBT groups and communities continue to, you know, work together to make sure that a lot of these, whether you're an athlete or not, you know, these players can, these people can actually come out, pursue their dreams, um, go for something, start their own initiatives, you know, and, um, you know, it's all about being strong, being, um, together and it's very inspirational that you know he decided to do this it's a strong message as well like you know to grow 
and succeed in anything that you can do. You know, having that mindset is very important for anybody. Um, you know, when it comes to, to, to setting out to accomplish something, and you know, hopefully with Carl Nassif and his, you know, his you know, revelation here, you know, he'll be able to really have a positive impact on a lot of people. Um, you know, that are thinking about sports and want to become uh, into sports in some kind of way that you know they'll be looked at. Um, you know, in a much better way, uh, and, and you know, it, it ultimately, you know, you just want to see the NFL continue to have more people speak out, to be to push certain ideas and messages, uh, and it's just going to do great. It's going to do great for the NFL if they continue to, you know, stand behind their players' ideas and supports, and be able to start making some real change. There's still a lot of work doing the NFL in terms of, you know, what's what's you know what's there uh, in terms of you know certain things that are thought about you know coaching and interviewing process but when it comes to this call to see uh, made a right step in the right direction and i just can't wait to see you know how he continues to make a difference you know behind the scenes um because a lot of football players are doing that every day uh, doing a lot to help their communities to give them opportunities and platforms to you know, giving their fans the ability to interact, be able to, you know, go after it. So, uh, overall, a very nice story. And I hope that more and more players continue to find ways to help their communities, people, um, you know, in their state and around the world, give them opportunities to pursue their dreams, to be, be strong, be confident that they can, they can go after anything, um, whether it be in the NFL, at an intern level, coordinator level. Um, or just being able to instill some confidence, get some experience. The NFL is continuing to grow and grow uh, in, in a great way. This will only make more and more players, um, you know, who may may not want to express certain things uh, or may want to keep certain things to themselves, to express themselves and to, you know, start more conversations and more dialogue, the better, I think, in the NFL. Um, and it would just create a really good environment as well for a lot of the younger generation of players coming in to the league. So in this next segment, I want to talk about a couple of, um, you know, athletes that are going to be uh, competing in the Olympics and a lot of Olympic trial and events have been going on as you know we get closer and closer uh, to July and it's going to be exciting to see obviously all these athletes be able to compete and and get out there and hopefully have a good time in doing so. Um, So the first athlete that I really want to talk about is Allison Felix. She's a track and field athlete that has competed uh, very well throughout the years. Um, has really evolved as um, as an athlete as well. You know, from Los Angeles, California, um, she secured her spot in her fifth Olympics by finishing second in the 400 meter um, race. And uh, I think it was actually it was 400 meter race in, in an individual event. Um, you know, and this was her first time competing in the Olympics as a mom who recently, you know, she had a, she had a daughter, um, and back in 2018, 2019, 
and you know she is one of the best athletes in track and field uh, you know history in, in her own unique way um, you know a world champion winning gold medals I think about five gold medals um, you know she's been and she she did that all a part of the, uh, with the USA relay team she's obviously lost a lot of world championships and international um, medals throughout the years and you know even at, uh, at her age she's been able to do a tremendous job of being able to get herself in position to you know, really train and compete hard knowing that you know during the pandemic obviously a lot, a lot of athletes had to really adjust how they trained and prepared for events and things like that that were coming up and you know Allison definitely did that in a big way in which you know with her experience throughout all these world athletic championships she was able to really keep on getting better and better um, you know, she did have some injuries along the way. Um, you know, she was with Nike uh, before she did end up moving to another brand just to be able to, you know, take care of her priorities. And, you know, as a mom, being able to, I mean, it's amazing what, what she was able to do, able to, like, train and also be able to take care of her daughter um, while really looking to make a big run at the Olympics because this may be her final Olympics. Um... You know, and so she wanted to go out on a strong note, and I think that best thing is that she'll get an opportunity to really go out there and compete and, and make things happen. You know, you know she is, you know, well experienced and well thought of, um, and as a person, she really grew. Um, you know, she spent a lot of time training for these Olympics. Um, doing like workouts on streets, empty soccer fields, going to the beach um, to prepare herself for the Olympics. And like I said, she's won, I think, a total of nine Olympic medals throughout her career. I think most of them have been gold, some have been silver. And, you know, she just kept herself um, going, you know, stayed confident in herself, um, you know, overcoming adversity, pushing herself to beat her record times. Uh, that's what it's all about, being an Olympian athlete, being able to find different ways to adapt and change yourself throughout the years. And she, like I said, she competed in so many different events throughout her career. Um, and being able to do it, being able to make the Olympics as a mom, uh, really tremendous, um, and a great amount of hard work and responsibility and focus she showed and making it you know so uh, can't wait to see what she does um, you know I'm sure she's gonna bring out her best and you know best thing is that her little daughter will be able to watch her um, go out there and, and you know, try to be try to bring home another gold medal again um, which will be really good to watch so very nice story and um, you know, as I said, she's had a, a memorable track and field um, career, um, and she's going to leave behind a really good legacy of hard work, excellence, uh, finishing in the top 10 in a lot of races, um, and just really setting a standard that you know, even as a mom, even if 
you have some things that you know come your way you can still you know go out there and be an athlete so you know even if you become a parent you can still compete and have your you know fulfill your dreams and get out there and be passionate she was passionate about track and field um, from a very early age she kept it going through all the adversity all the challenges and even after becoming pregnant in 2018 she came back stronger than ever competed hard um, and she's you know, representing herself very, really well. Um, and she's very, you know, very hardworking. And it's going to be fascinating to watch how she does um, at the Olympic Games in, in the summer. So the next athlete that I want to talk about uh, and transition to is Alice Deering, who is a young 24-year-old. Um, and she becomes the first black female swimmer to represent Great Britain. Um, in the Olympics, she's been coming for, uh, been rising up really well um, throughout the years. Um, obviously, it's been challenging for her, no doubt, because of you know throughout the years and swimming, we've seen obviously a lot of you know white swimmers, Asian American swimmers, you know, of different different backgrounds, and you know, obviously with any. Um, African-American or black athlete, there's always those challenges that come um, of, you know, can they fit in? Can they be able to succeed despite all the odds? Can they, you know, work through those things that keep on coming their way? And, you know, we've seen, obviously, a, a balance in which a lot of people have really come forward, try to help a lot of these black female athletes and, and other athletes alike to, to, you know, coexist, to get along, um, to try to create an environment in which, you know, this opportunity for everybody to, to, to prove themselves and, and, and be their best. And so, you know, Alice Deering has worked really hard. Um, you know, obviously she never thought she would be an Olympian, but she kept, when she started swimming at an early age, uh, she stick with it. You know, she, she started enjoying it more and more, competed very, very well in a lot of tournaments. And it's got better and better uh, throughout the years. Um, and, you know, along the way, she was able to make some really good friendships, really good bonds. And she just became more smart, more aware of a lot of things, um, you know, at a very early age. Being able to understand that you know, she just wanted to do, to do more than just re represent Great Britain you know, in the Olympics. She just wanted to be able to create a platform, a voice for more younger, um, you know, black African-American swimmers to come forward to not let all the things that society kind of hold you back about, oh, this person has this kind of hair or that kind of hair, um, you know, can they really do that? You know, she wanted to kind of break those barriers and, you know, she was able to do that. Um, like I said, she competed well internationally. She worked hard, um, not only doing her like her major and social media communication, political communication, um, but just being able to, you know, partner with a couple of organizations. I think the Black Swimming um, Charity Association Charity, in which um, you know, working with some brands that um, you know design caps to keep um you know curly hair or thick hair you know 
relatively not sticking out. You know, so she, you know, the whole idea was like a lot of the swimmers and um, throughout the years, you know, you'd see them wear certain caps and stuff. And then like, you know, if someone were to, to wear, you know, a cap and the hair was sticking out, a lot of people would say something about that. Based on her experiences, what I what I read about her leading up to her Olympic, um, you know, trial spot, you know, she just wanted to be able to uh, make sure that whoever, whichever athletes are able to, you know, come out and, and work hard, don't have to be held back by their appearance and all that. And the most important thing that matters is that all these incredible athletes and swimmers want to be able to get a chance to compete be in the pool and you know more and more people will continue to see and be inspired by Alice Deering and Simone Manuel two swimmers who have been able to really do an exceptional job of just being able to fit in to work hard to let not only their their actions speak for themselves but being able to talk about the importance of giving more and more people the opportunity to compete, to come and be coached by, um, you know, all these great coaches that are, are, are in swimming. And I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good thing to see overall, you know, just more and more of a push by Alice Deering, not only to compete and be the best that she can be, but also to be able to, you know, work with a lot of different people in these brands to make sure that anybody who comes does have an opportunity to get the proper equipment, the you know, training, the you know, push, and not to be held back by just how they appear or a certain way or kind of hair that they have. You know, it should be about what what they what they can do, giving them the opportunity to prove themselves, to compete at the highest level, to be encouraged by the fans, to have support their family and friends. And so, Alice Dern is definitely doing that. Uh, she's going to be representing Great Britain at the Olympics and you know doing that at the same time she's also going to be able to work to work with a lot of different people um, and continue to, to push for the positive message about you know that you know young black swimmers can compete they can get in the pool they can do all these things that we see the incredible other athletes are doing at a young age uh, it's not about giving more of the or black people opportunity uh, and athletes opportunities to compete in swimming, to be coached by great people, be, be in the events and not be, uh, you know, not be taken back or, you know, refused, you know. So, and obviously, we've seen throughout the years in many sports how a lot of black athletes have dealt with racism and the challenges that, you know, you know, society, uh, you know, they have faced society. So, you know, when it comes to the Olympics and you see all these athletes getting opportunities in swimming and boxing, getting a chance to compete, um, it's all about spreading love and awareness um, and giving resources and a platform to a lot of these athletes to pursue their dreams. And so hopefully with Alice Deering and Simone Manuel doing great in swimming and more and more a younger generation of swimmers, uh, you know, black swimmers will be able to really look at that and really, you know, embrace the challenge, embrace the journey, and you know, make something, make something out of their careers and 
their life. And that's the most important thing you want to see is them to be happy, to spread awareness, to open up that dialogue, to have more and more you know, black females in swimming, and to really create a good environment amongst a lot of other players, other athletes, to kind of share their experiences, to you know, push the sports swimming even more um, with this opportunity for everybody. Uh, to shine and to make something good out of it. So I want to finish today's episode by talking about Milka Singh, um, who was one of India's most decorated athletes, sport athletes in history, recently passed away at the age of 91 um, due to COVID complications. Milka Singh um, was just really, uh, really loved and respected and well thought of throughout the years um, in India. I mean, he had a great aura and personality um, that people spoke about at many, many times. And... He inspired many athletes, um, actors, and others, you know, across the, across India, um, to really go out there and give it your all and perform at the highest level. You know, he was an exceptional track and field sprinter. Uh, he was given the name Flying Sick because of how impressive he was in one of the Commonwealth um, Games in which he won a gold medal. And he just, at every turn, inspired a lot of people um, to never give up on themselves, to really push yourself and always enjoy what you have and be able to, uh, you know, work hard and, and, and struggle for anything, you know. But be able to, like, you know, go through that struggle and stay with it and to make something out, out, of, your, out of your life. And so, you know, he always preached hard work and excellence and like I said he was really great um, you know and everything that he competed in at a very early age um, you know, he kept doing those things at a high level um, and you know I personally as most people may have seen Farhan Akhtar uh, one of India's like well-known you know choreographer directors actors you know he did a biopic on Milka Singh you know the movie was called Bhag Milka Bhag and it was a, a, a tremendous movie uh, one that I still remember watching with my mom my brother and my dad you know you know just the four of us actually one time in a theater by ourselves on a weekday and can I tell you way that the movie was from start to finish it really captured so much about Milka Singh and the kind of person that he was and obviously Farhan Akhtar met Milka Singh and got his approval to do this biopic and everything and the movie was just so great because it just showed so many different obstacles that Milka Singh had to go through to get to this point where he you know he could become an athlete you know obviously with the partition that happened years ago being able to kind of have, having to leave from his home, you know, be separated from his parents, 
Um, but in this movie, they just show so much about how he had to kind of earn his step every single way, you know. You know, he over time became more and more better and better as, you know, as a great person, as a great believer. He had a lot of spirit in him. Um, and he just let everybody in awe of the way that he competed and the way that he, the way that he, you know, he, 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 you know, he ran. It was just so tremendous, and the movie was so great in, in its own unique way. Um, you know, it just showed a lot about hard work, perseverance. You know, overcoming like the the self doubts, the nervousness. Um, it exemplified a lot of things that we all strive for: to be fearless, to go out there and, and give it our all. Uh, anything, anything that, that we set our minds to. And so, you know, he was just. All about, uh, all about achieving the unthinkable, and you know he was so well loved and has a very special place in a lot of people's hearts. Um, you know he's going to be remembered, um, for so much. He had a great legacy of hard work, excellence, loving, caring, very spirited. Um, you know, being able to just really inspire a lot of people to compete and, and keep sports in India going at, at, at a great rate um, and at a great level and you know he will be remembered on everyone's hearts for a very long long time because um, he he did so much he did so much um, that you know I'm only <laughs> saying what I know and I have I've heard about him and watched about in this biopic that Farhan Akhtar did and you know that movie was just really great. It captured so much about Milka Singh's how he started, how he trained. Um, you know, going to the academy, uh, going to the army. I would say the army, and you know, being able to serve the army, and then also be able to still keep his dreams um, and passion alive to compete in track and field. Um, to always give it his all. He represented India so well. Um, you know, he, he just he just never doubted himself as much. He always found a way. He also found a way to overcome it. And uh, you know, definitely a tough week for sure. Um, but he you know leaves behind an incredible legacy that a lot of people, with the values, the, the kind of things that he taught, um, the kind of things that he. You know, he were, were, would go out there and talk about and really teach to the youngsters. Um, you know, those will stay with everyone forever. Um, and, you know, he will always be known as a flying sick, one of his most decorated athletes of all time. Um, and I just know that in the generations to come, we're going to get more and more athletes continuing to uh, pursue greatness the way that Nika Singh was pursuing greatness but also being able to be a good human being to be able to set a standard to set leave behind a legacy more than just winning gold medals being able to inspire a lot a lot of people out there to continuing to uh, to fight to continue to push for your dreams and to not let anything hold you back let that fear go keep on going for everything you can um, and enjoy the, enjoy the journey, enjoy the spirit of everything that you're doing.